Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our series called Managing Your Inner World, and it explores the things that Jesus said about how to have happiness in life, something everyone wants but may try to secure in the wrong way or not understand how to attain it at all. The Bible gives us clear direction on how to manage our inner world so that we can experience true happiness in life. We hope that you enjoy today's message. That happened many years ago in my life, and it's a story of some drama I caused by something I said um, many years ago. I, like I said, something I said for once, it was not my fault. Um, so you can all relate to that, but it was not my fault. And we were with a large group of people for dinner, and the hostess was a great cook, and so she made this amazing meal, this roast and potatoes and vegetables and gravy. And as I sat down to this meal and I had my first couple of bites, man, it was so tender, it was so delicious. And I said, is this moose roast? Which I love moose, it's just so amazing. And she really quietly nodded and said, yes, it is. Moment, the most blood curdling scream let out. The person in front of me dropped their, their fork on their plate, it clanged. She got up and sobbed. She, and she was screaming over and over again, that was so close. So, but what had happened, I felt so bad, but what I didn't know, that she had a big problem with any type of game meat. She had a big problem with moose or deer or venison, anything like that. And I felt so bad because it was such a big drama. There was, it was awful, as you can imagine, it caused a big, huge disruption, all because I had no idea what was in that person's heart. They had this larger-than-life, over-the-top reaction. There was hyperventilating going on. There was tears. I mean, it was, it was over-the-top, all because her reaction was over-the-top based on what was in her heart. So with that today, I want us to take a look at what's going on in our hearts. So I'm going to continue on this series that Dennis and Joel have been doing. Hasn't it been a great series that they've done? Just love this series, Managing Your Inner World. Yes, you guys did great the last few weeks here. And I'm going to continue on this series with Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Isn't that a good scripture? Blessed are the pure of heart. So first of all, I want to talk about what does it mean to be blessed? And a good way to find that out is look in the Amplified Bible for a definition. Matthew 5, 8 in the Amplified says, blessed, happy, enviably fortunate and spiritually prosperous. And then it goes on to say, regardless of their outward conditions are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So that's such a good description because you know, anyone can feel happy. Anybody can feel blessed when things are going really well. Uh, But the Bible says, the great thing about the Bible says is being able to go through these tough times with God's peace and and happiness Seeking, seeing God's favor and provision. How many have experienced that? You go through the toughest times, and that's what really blessed means in the Bible. It's going through tough times and experiencing that favor, grace, and blessing. So how do we experience that kind of blessing, and what does it mean to be pure in heart? Um, so anyways, that, that blessing, the pure in heart, sometimes it's like, what does pure in heart really mean? Matthew 5, 8 in the message describes it really well. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. So you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. So this is what I wanna talk about today. So much of me experiencing that blessing that Matthew talks about is directly related to what is in my heart, 
or as the Message Bible calls it, my inside world. And I've got a, a picture that I think really describes it really well. And it's a big iceberg. And what happens here, isn't that a beautiful picture? And, uh, you know, what happens is when we get saved, we come to Jesus, that top part is what we really see change. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, we, we, we get saved, we, our habits change, we get water baptized, we start going to church, some of our language ch changes, all that kind of stuff happens. And some of this, like the language, we read our Bibles, going to church, this change is so awesome, of course. It's a great change. And this change is like the top 10% of the iceberg that everybody sees above the surface. But there's a huge part, as you notice, under the water. And that's the part that no one sees. That's the below the surface of the water. That biggest part of us, it's the biggest part of the iceberg that no one sees, is the emotional life below the surface that doesn't get changed immediately. We're changed in our spirit, but our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions are not all changed in that very moment that we become Christians. So what are some of these 90% of things that are below the surface? There are emotions, our reactions, and our attitudes. And so these are some of our ways of relating in the world, our, our styles of communication. It's how we handle frustration and how we handle anger. It's also how we handle disagreements with each other and conflicts. And also things like how we speak to each other. That's a huge one. How we speak to each other is all that sort of stuff that we've got to learn that are below the surface. So these are some of the things that are below the surface that need to change. The sad thing is many Christians change that top 10%. They go to church, they read their Bibles, there's some external habits that change right away but they neglect the things that are hidden, those ways of dealing with the world that we learned growing up. Now, now, here's the problem. Our family and our friends, they get to see and experience that 90%. Sometimes our workmates, sometimes they see that 90%, that the way that we just learned growing up, and that's the problem. They get to experience all this, this sort of thing below the surface. These things that have been not dealt with, these same ways of handling life, and relationships that you learn growing up. And I um, remember an example of this, something I heard about, and, and what it was is there was this family and they had an ongoing problem in the family for generations. Um, just really, really awful abuse, ways of dealing with people, generation problems of physical and emotional abuse, harshness, just a terrible family to grow up in. And one of the brothers became a Christian and so his life changed on the outside. He went to church. He had a really strong faith. He, was, he, was, he had a really strong faith on the outside. He really had changed on the outside. But later on in life, as you talk to his kids, you found out that they grew up in the same kind of home that everyone else did. He raised his kids in that same harsh and abusive way that his non-Christian brothers had raised their kids so he raised his kids in the same awful way that he had learned growing up, that same harsh way. And it was so sad because his family wasn't a testimony to others as he didn't allow God to deal with how he parented and his kids really suffered, unfortunately. So this is the challenge for the rest of our lives is to deal with that 90% below. And this is what God wants to do. This is the work he really wants to do for the rest of our lives. And a thought I'd like to share with you is this is something I'm challenged with. We can either grow old and change or just grow old. Wow. 
We can either grow old, and I'm thinking about this lots these days. This is a challenge to myself. We can either grow old and change or just grow old. And so that's something that we need to really thought, think about. And how does this relate to Matthew regarding our heart? Matthew talks about having a pure heart. And when we think of something as pure, we think of something as pure, we think, let's say, say water, pure water. We think it's something without contamination, without bugs, with, without all that kind of stuff in it, all the junk in it. But when we, and we also can talk about metals, like pure gold or pure silver. What do we mean by that when something is pure silver? It means that it's not mixed in without any, with any other kind of metals or any other kind of junk or contamination. And the great thing is the Bible talks about that God will actually purify us. God's the one who's gonna do that work in our lives. God's the one who's gonna purify us like silver. And there's a great scripture about that in Malachi. Malachi 3, 2 to 3, it says, for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. He will purify the lead lights and refine them like gold and silver. So the ancient way of how they used to purify silver is they'd stick it in the hottest part of the fire and the impurities would rise to the surface and it would be skimmed away and then they'd have pure silver. And this is the same thing that God wants to do for us in our inner world. He wants to purify our hearts, our inner worlds like purifying silver. Now, the only thing is this doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately. It doesn't happen in that one moment that we become Christians. Um, it, become, it happens when we become, well, first of all, I should clarify, I'm not talking about salvation. Right. When right. for salvation, what happens is that we you know, give our hearts to Jesus and immediately our sins are washed away. So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about what's happened, the ongoing work of purifying our hearts. What I'm, in, what I'm talking about, like I said, is the ongoing work a purity in our hearts. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? It be, means being willing to look at some of these attitudes and reactions that happen below the surface. Looking at these attitudes and reactions that happen below the surface. So what are some of these heart issues? You know, when I think about the heart, I start thinking about what's on the inside of me. What do I experience on the inside of me? And one of the first things I think about is my motives. When I think about, and when I think about my motives, that's one of the things that just kind of drives the inside of me. And so when I think about my motives and a definition of motives, the, motive, the best one I can think of for a definition of motive is why do I do what I do? Right. Why do I do what I do? Not what I do. We're so used to thinking, well, I do this, I serve, I help others, you know, I give, I'm a nice person, I do all these things. But to really ask ourselves, why do I do what I do? And I think that's really important. So also, some of the examples are, why did I make that decision? Why did I say that? Why did I not say that? Why did I hold back from saying that? Why did I do that? Why did I not do that? Why did I decide not to do that? The big one is, why did I react that way? Right. We can act and react to things and don't even consider why we do them. Right. You know, when I think of that, I think of an example of the rich young ruler in the Bible. And the book of Matthew tells a story about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking how he could have eternal life. And Jesus gave him a list of all the commandments he needed to keep and all the good things he could do. And so he said, yeah, do all these good things. And he said, actually, I do all these things. And Matthew 19, 20 says, all these things I have kept, the young man said, 
what do I still lack? So we knew he was doing all the right things, but something was still missing. I've done all these right things, what am I still lacking? We can do everything right, but if we do it with the wrong motives, we're gonna run into problems, we're gonna feel unfulfilled. So the first heart motive I wanna talk about when I wanna dig up is people-pleasing. So what's a definition of people-pleasing? I heard some people groan, oh, (laughs) people-pleasing. I think we we all can recognize that one. So one of the first, the definition of people-pleasing, it's wanting to be recognized, hoping someone will think better of me. It was, was, it's wanting to be, sorry. um, Sorry, it's wanting to be recognized, hoping someone will think better of me and someone will be impressed by my serving or my giving. So it's wanting to be recognized, just hoping people will think better of you. All these thoughts are motives, and you'll be disappointed. You won't get a blessing when you do something with the motive of people-pleasing. So if you do something and your motive is wrong, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be happy. And if you ever noticed, if you do something with wrong motives that no one notices, you know, you forget to get thanked. You forget, people forget to see what you're doing. You volunteer and you show up. And for some reason, you just don't get, you, people forget to thank you. You don't get promoted. But if you do something for the pure joy of serving, you won't be disappointed. If you're emotionally healthy, you can serve without being thanked. You can serve just for the joy of, hey, I did something great. No one needs to thank me. You know, my thanks is I did this enough. If you're emotionally healthy, you can go in and into a room and not be noticed. Right. Not feel like people have to notice and acknowledge you if you're emotionally healthy. And then the other thing we do, we do things because we want validation from someone. We do things because we want their validation, we want their approval. And one thing I've learned when it comes to life in general, we need to realize that some people will never give you the validation that you need. When it comes to life in general, you're gonna to have to realize you're not always gonna get the validation you need. And I experienced this a number of years ago. Um, as you, most people know, Dennis and I took this huge and exciting faith venture that we moved from Ontario with our little kids and moved all the way to BC. And it was exciting and it was a big venture. And you know, then we went back home for a visit. And I was so excited to be home. You know, this is such an exciting thing. We were part of this new campus ministry and this new church plan, and we'd done this great new thing. I was so excited to be back home. And we had two little kids, and we, you know, we're hoping everybody could get reacquainted with them. And I sat down, I remember sitting down, really specifically sitting down at the table and sitting there with someone that I hadn't seen for a long time. And I just thought maybe they'd want to know what we were doing and what's life in Vancouver like and all these sorts of things. But when I sat down at the table with this person, all they did was talk about themselves. All they did was talk about some of the little things going on in their lives. And I was trying to maybe stick in, you know, here's some of the things that we're doing. And they just ignored it and went on about their own lives. And I tried to bring things up. They never even asked me once anything about my life. They weren't even interested. They never, they only talked about themselves and their world and some of the small things in their world. They never asked about how we were doing. They only talked about themselves. And I remember being so disappointed and so heartbroken. They really didn't seem to care. You know, at that moment, I was like, man, they don't seem to care. Like, and I had wanted so much, you know, to be validated and to be at some attention at that time. Here I was so excited and didn't get any of the attention that I was hoping for. 
And it was during that time that God really spoke to me, really clearly spoke to me and said, you're never gonna get that validation that you're craving. You're not gonna get it from that person. You're only gonna have to get that from me. And in that moment, I just kind of realized, it was just like a, a total realization that I've been trying to get validation from this person. I was never gonna get it. There's no sense trying for the rest of your life to get some of that validation. You may never get that proud of you, good girl, attaboy, that kind of thing. You're never, you might never get that from your earthly family. Right. And that was such a huge thing for me. We need, and I just realized from then on, I needed to get that from God. We need to look to God for that validation because we're not always going to get it on earth. Now, I want to say it's, it's normal to want your family to pay attention to you and give you some validation and, and listen to you and all that kind of stuff, give you some attention, but we all aren't always going to get that from people. God showed me that I wasn't going to get that from people, but I could get it from God. And people-pleasing can also affect our decision-making, and that's one super important to know about. There are times that we're going to have to make decisions. There, there are times where we're going to have to make important decisions, and we need to guard our hearts against people-pleasing. At those moments when we've got these big decisions we're going to make, we're going to have to guard our hearts. I know for us, an example of that is some of the career choices that Dennis and I have made. Now, both of us have university degrees, and we could have gone off and worked in that line of work and some really interesting jobs that paid well. It would have been really, really easy for us to get these, these jobs and what we studied for. However, it didn't always make sense to family and friends when we did not use our degrees for what we studied for. It didn't always make sense. It wasn't always applauded. You can, make, you can imagine it didn't make sense to a lot of people. If our priority at that time was pleasing people, their opinions, what they thought of us, we'd never be doing right now what we're doing. If our priority was pleasing people, we would never have planted, come to Edmonton and planted a church. If that, was, that was our priority. So it was super important that we did not please people in those situations. There are times when you'll be faced with a decision and it's not always a choice that gets celebrated or popular. There's times you're gonna be faced with making a decision it's not always gonna be celebrated or popular with people. Right. And many times for me, I've had to quote the scripture. I think Joel said it today, but Psalm 56, 11, it says, in God I have put my trust and confident reliance. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? A lot of times I've had to quote that in my head, like, you know, in God I'm putting my trust right now, my confident reliance, what can man do to me? Another good scripture is 1 Thessalonians 2.4. It says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Our purpose in life is not to please people, make everybody else happy. Our purpose is to please God not people. So let's look now at our hearts when we react or make a decision. So when we start to make a decision, we can start looking at our hearts and, and say, did I make this decision out of a pure heart or did I make this decision of concern of what people will think of me? Did I take that opportunity? Did I do that based on you know, what I felt God wanted or what people thought of me? I know for me, this really affected my salvation story. Um, what happened with me is, is this people-pleasing could have really affected me a lot. And when I was faced with, when I heard the gospel for the first time, when I finally understood it, the first thing that came to mind was the fear that came in 
was what are people gonna think of me? I thought, man, they're gonna think I'm crazy. My university friends are gonna think, you know, I'm, I'm nuts. My family and friends as well. And I thought, what are people gonna think of me? And in that moment, I had that decision to make. Am I gonna choose God, who's the creator of the universe? I realized, am I gonna choose him or say no because of what have people thought of me? So that whole thing could have, and thankfully I said yes to God uh, instead of what, what people thought of me. How can I say no to the creator of the universe because I'm afraid of what people would think? People-pleasing is one of those things that has tried to affect my decision-making over the years, and it could have interfered, first of all, with that relationship with God. So think about your reactions and ask yourself, am I doing, not doing this thing because I'm afraid of someone else's reaction or opinion? And let God show you any people-pleasing in your life. One of the other things I've seen in people's hearts is the root of rejection. So what's the root of rejection? What's the definition of that? It's the expectation that people are going to reject you. Reject you. It's the expectation that people are going to reject you. It's the, it's the interpretations of actions, reactions, and conflict with others as personal rejections. You can actually expect people to reject you. There's people that actually expect rejection. And you can actually expect that. It causes people to say, I'm not going to going to even try. If I try, I'm going to get rejected. I'm not going to even bother putting myself out there. I'm going to get rejected. I know years ago, I saw rejection in someone. And it looks like this way back. Now, we're talking many, many years ago, way back in our first building. And I had someone tell me that a certain leader, worship leader at the time was snobby or stuck up. They came up and gave their complaint to me. And I said, why? And they said, well, they walked by me without saying hi. And I knew that leader. I knew, first of all, that they were not like that. They were not snobby. They were not stuck up. But I knew something about that leader. They, would, they would probably had something on their mind. And I know, too, also people tend to look up to people on the platform and want to get their attention. And they want to be noticed by them. That's just human nature. We just seem to have a bent that way. But I knew this worship leader. I knew that they were probably, you know, I got something to do. They're going from A to B with a lot on our minds. And I could also tell that this other person was very insecure, that they were looking for the attention, that they were really wanting to get that, uh, they were misjudging the situation. And so I just knew that, that at that person, that, that she was misjudging the interaction based on her own insecurities and needing attention. That person was not rejecting her, and also they were not snobby or stuck up, but it was her perception based on her need to be noticed. It was all based on her perception of the need to be noticed. And this, of course, can happen at your workplace. This can happen in our workplace. Our supervisor doesn't notice us. Or everybody goes out to lunch, and they forget to invite you. Or they do things after work together. They hang out together. And you just feel like you're not a part of the group. You know, it's normal to notice that, of course. It's normal to notice that. And you, but what is not right is that when you take that, is when you take that and you think something is wrong with you, when you take that personally and think, there's something wrong with me, there's a reason, you know, uh, whatever, you just sort of take that personally. When your self-talk starts to say, well, I'm unlovable, you know, there's something wrong with me, that's what the problem is. It's interpreting what others do as a personal rejection. It's interpreting these things around us as a personal rejection. I didn't get chosen, they didn't talk to me, or another one is they didn't like my idea. 
we have conflict with people, we take that as personal rejection. You can interpret so much of what happens as rejection. The root of rejection is when you expect people to reject you. The root of rejection is when you actually expect it to be rejected. You know what people say? I won't even try. I won't even put myself out there. That's what happens when people have the root of rejection. Now, the second trap that this person fell into was judging motives. So for that worship leader example, she, she went, not only went, said, you know, said she felt rejected, but she also went further and she judged the person's motives and said she's stuck up. Never judge somebody else's motives for doing something. You can disagree with somebody, but we get into really dangerous territory when we judge someone else's motives for doing what they do or make judgments about their character. When you start thinking these thoughts, what do you do instead? Remember 1 Corinthians 13. So what do we do? What do we do when we go through these situations? We feel rejected or we start to judge. I like 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. I love that. Ever ready to believing the best of every person. So, you know, what happens? Like practically, I didn't get invited. Well, they had a good reason. Maybe their numbers were limited. Maybe they forgot. You're going to be full of offense if you keep reading into people's actions. So what do you do about all of this? First of all, I would say catch yourself, catch your thoughts, watch what you're thinking about, look what's in your heart. Philippians 4, 8, 9 is a great one. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. That's how you get peace, is just not allowing this stuff to fester in your heart. Think about all these things. Catch yourself. Is my reaction, is my thinking about this thing rooted in my personal insecurities and my root of rejection. So really think about that. You know, is this just something that's within me? And the last heart motive I wanna talk about is fear. And that can be something that really determines a lot of things we we do. Another heart heart motive below the surface is we can unknowingly act and react out of fear. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, when we're afraid of people, people pleasing itself is a type of fear. We're afraid of what people will think. How many times have we thought, if I say or do that, I'm gonna look stupid. (laughs) How many times have we thought, no, I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna look stupid. So we make so many of these, these decisions based on fear. Another type of fear is like a fear of lack. I mean, there's so many fears we could go into today, but just a few here, fear of lack. We can make decisions based on a fear of lack. And uh, I don't know if anybody is like me, but they grew up in a household with a lot of kids. And when there's a lot of kids in the house, one of the things you do is when the food comes around, you make sure you put more on your plate than you normally would. Or you rush through the meal, because you, you, know, you better get up for seconds really fast because it won't be there anymore. So we can, if anybody else has been in that situation, we, that fear, that fear of not having enough can actually cause us to overeat or do many, many things like that based on a fear of lack. So 
A lot of times we can have things like that. We can, we can uh, overeat just because of fear. But also there's a fear of lack of not having enough. And many of us have heard of people or know people who've hoarded all their lives. So they have money, they've got, they hold on to their money, they have, hold on to their stuff, they have barns full of stuff and possessions. And when they die, they have more money than they need in the bank. Or they have barns full of stuff, just packed full of stuff, because they were afraid to spend it or to give it to others or be generous because they were afraid of not having enough. They were stingy with themselves and others because of these fears. There are so many types of fears, like I said, that can affect our behavior, as God can show those to us. I know sometimes as a mom, I parented out of fear. No, you can parent out of fear. Some of the decisions I made were based on those fears. The solution for this is, first of all, recognize it, then ask God to help you recognize it and overcome it as it comes up. And just a good scripture that I like, I quote all the time, is Psalm 34.4. It says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. So let's ask God to show us when we're reacting and acting in fear. So just a challenge today, I'm gonna pray for us in a second, but I'm gonna ask God just to purify our hearts. Let's commit today to work on that 90% below the surface so that we can experience all the blessed life that He has for us, all the things that God has for us today. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we just thank You, Lord God, for, Lord, that ongoing work of purifying our hearts that You can do in our lives, Lord God. Father, we thank You, Lord God, for um, even just helping us today, Lord, even bringing, shining Your light on some of these things that, that we've thought about today, Lord God. And Father, I thank You for that ongoing work Lord God, that you're going to do in our hearts. And everybody said, amen. 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 Let's all stand, if we would, for a moment um, as we get ready to wrap up the service. And, you know, we're talking today about God working in our lives and changing our souls and all of those things. But, uh, and as Leslie mentioned, you know, we, we have that top 10% where we see, you know, a change that's already happened. But the thing is this, is you've got to surrender to Jesus to get him working on the on, on 100%. You, you really do. And, and if that hasn't happened in your world, for those who are watching online as well, if, if you haven't made that commitment to Christ to follow him with all your heart, uh, you know, today's the day to do it. Don't, don't delay. Don't put it off. Think someday I'll get around to it. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And it's when we surrender to him that we live with not just the hope of a different life, but the experience of God actually working in our life to, to a purpose, which is make us more like Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm not really sure that I have really surrendered my life to Christ or, or I, I just know that I haven't. Same for those who are watching online. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. This is your opportunity to talk to God. This is your opportunity to make a decisive decision to say, I'm going to put Jesus first place in my life, receive him as my Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads, if we would, for that prayer. You can pray along with me, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you gave your whole life when you went to the cross for me. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior, and I will follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message today from our series, Managing Your Inner World. 
If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or if you would like to partner with us financially, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com. You can follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook at Celebration EDM to connect with us. Join us next week to hear another great message from our series, Managing Your Inner World. <laughs>